So this morning, if you'll remember, uh, for the past four weeks, uh, we've been looking at the, the life of the great man of faith, Abraham. And uh, so this morning, we come, to, uh, we come to like the story. It's, one of, it's like one of his defining uh, stories. And uh, it's not an easy story. It's a hard story. Uh, and I'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, so we're looking at what traditionally has been called the, the binding of Isaac, uh, which you'll find in Genesis chapter 22, 1 through 19. Uh, you can follow along behind me, or if you've got it with you, uh, follow along that way. Uh, Genesis 22, uh, 1 through 19. Before we, before we read, let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're, we're just grateful that, that you've given us this book, your word. Thankful that your spirit is present so that when we open it and read it, we meet you here in this place. Thank you for being present Speak to us, God. Holy Spirit, do whatever it is you do to allow that to happen. Uh, In some ways, that's a mystery to us, Uh, but we know it happens, and we're grateful for that. So open our hearts, open our minds, bring us to a new place, transform us, change us, in Jesus' name, amen. So Genesis chapter 22, 1 through 19, hear these words. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham had looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and he placed it on his son. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. Well, the, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. 
Then he reached out his hand. He took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel, again, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, bringing a message from God, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and Through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. That's what God wants, right? Obedience. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba. Abraham stayed in Beersheba. We will go that far. So, you know, this is one of the toughest, if not the toughest stories in the Bible. (laughs) Seriously tough. Um, In fact, aside from the death and resurrection of Jesus and those stories that recount those, more has been written about this story than any other story in the whole of the Bible, this book that, that, that we love so much. In fact, if you were to spend the rest of your life from now until you're done on this earth, you'd probably never get to the end of what's been written about this story. I don't care how old you are, if you're nearing the end or if you're young like Micah who's eight years old, you'll never get to the end. Like, aside from the death and resurrection of Jesus, more has been written about this story than any other. It's a tough story. It's sort of a gruesome story, and it's, it's spawned so many different strands of interpretation that it's hard for us to follow them all completely. So this morning, we come at this story with a complete sense of humility, knowing that, that we're just barely going to scratch the surface of this story, of its meaning, of its significance. And really, when you think about it, this story just can't be explained. How do you explain this story and what God asked Abraham to do? How do you just explain that? You can't explain it. It has to be experienced. So if this story is going to say anything to us this morning, then then we have to first sort of live into it. You want to give it a shot with me? Again, let's scratch the surface because this is hard. So this episode in the life of Abraham, the great man of faith, begins like this. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Sometime later, God 
tested Abraham. He tested Abraham. Now, here's the deal. Whether we like them or not, like tests are actually a pretty good thing. Like, we don't really like tests, but tests are actually a really good thing because they help us understand how far along the journey of understanding and growing and learning we've actually come. Now, some tests are like this. They're designed to sort of, they're designed to, to, to get at the information that ought to be implanted in us, right? Firmly implanted in our brains. Let's just extract information. Like questions like this. Like, what's two plus two? Good job! Like that should firmly be planted in our brains. What's the square root of 60? Don't go there. I don't, you don't need to answer. It's fine. What's the capital of Iowa? Things like that. Facts, figures, try, sort of extract information that should be in us. Like we should know these things like that, right? But other questions, other tests are designed to, to sort of get at how well we're able to assimilate information into our lives and actually make sense of it and have an opinion on it. Like this, what is, what, what were the political ramifications of the Boston Tea Party, and how might we learn from it, to, and how might that shape how we shape our nation's policies today? Right? You have to have an opinion on that. How well have you assimilated the information, and how well can you apply it to your life today? Or think about the Olympic trials. The Olympic trials are actually just tests to see which athletes are the real deal. Like, who can represent our country in the best way possible and bring home the most golden hardware? Like, like, that's what they are. Tests are good things. They help us understand just how far we are along the journey of learning and growing. They give us, they give us sort of benchmarks in our lives. What do we know? What do we need to learn? How do I need to change? Where do we go from here? What do I need to investigate? What do I need to pay more attention to? So tests are good things. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. So this is a test. What are you made of, Abraham? Are you the real deal or not? He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Now the conditions of the test. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Isaac, the son of the promise, Abraham, the one I gave to you in old age, the one who came to you through Sarah, who didn't seem to be able to have children, the one who made you and Sarah laugh, the one you love, the one through whom I have promised to build a great nation, the one through whom I have promised to bless the whole world, that's the one, Isaac, your son, whom you love. Take Isaac, go up the mountain I will show you, and kill him. Wow. God tested Abraham. That's a hell of a test. Literally. Now, some of the ancient rabbis, as they sat around sort of arguing and bantering and talking about this test, some of them decided that the test uh, sort of had two different parts. Uh, and I, I want to I uh, give credit to Leonard Sweet, who helped me sort of think through it in this way. So they sort of had 
had two, the idea that there were two parts to this test, right? And we can think about it this way. The first part of the test was the objective part of the test, right? This is the part where we need the facts. You're tested through yes or no questions, through true or false questions, through multiple choice questions. The second part of the test is the essay part of the test. How well have you internalized what you've learned, Abraham? Have you assimilated what you've learned into your own life, right? So we'll begin with the first part of the test, the objective part of the test. Yes or no, true, false, multiple choice. The applied questions from God are these. Do you fear me, Abraham? Do you trust me, Abraham? Will you do what I ask you to do, Abraham? Will you obey me? Do you have faith? Like a drill sergeant, God says, Abraham. And Abraham, like a good good subordinate, says, here I am. And then God says, take your son, your only son, the one you love, up to a mountain I will show you and kill him there. And again, like a good good subordinate, Abraham says nothing. The story moves on. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, saddled his donkey. Along the way, you'll notice, he's quiet. He's subdued. He says absolutely nothing to God. He just goes. He mechanically climbs the mountain, builds an altar, ties his son there, is about to kill him. He reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel stops him and says, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son, your only Son, leaving out the whom you love part, what's that about? You can chew on that and think about it later. So he passes this test with flying colors, doesn't he? He has faith. He believes. He trusts. He obeys. How did he get faith enough to do that? How did he get, how did he How did he get strong enough to to have the ability to obey God in a situation like that, to take the life of his own son? How did his faith get that strong? Well, remember, when we started way back at the beginning of Abraham's story, when we talked about him as Abram and Sarai, we said that faith is about movement. Faith, it's about movement. Abraham was always on the move. He was always on the go. He literally left packed up his stuff and moved, left everything behind time and time and time and time again. Read through his story again. He's always moving, always going, right? He had a movement of the mind and intellect when he finally got to the place where he believed that God would actually give him a son through his wife, Sarah, even though she couldn't have children. He had He had a movement of the mind and intellect when God, when he realized that God would fulfill his promise through Isaac, even though Ishmael was still alive. And each movement was another test. Each movement was another sacrifice, building his faith. Abraham got his fear of God, his awe of God, his willingness to trust, his willingness to obey, to do what God commanded him to do. Through a lifetime of sacrifice, it took practice. He kept doing it. Every time he left a new place to go to a new place, he left a little bit of himself behind and learned to lean a little bit more on God, on the presence of the divine. Let me explain it this way. Eugene Peterson says this, 
sacrifice is to faith what eating is to nutrition. What? Sacrifice is to faith what eating is to nutrition? I like that. Think of it like this. You just get done with a, with a good, long, hard workout if you're into working out and that sort of thing. And After you're done, all of a sudden you've, you get these really bad muscle cramps in your legs. Like they hurt really bad. Now some say that cramps are caused by the lack of potassium in your body. And you know that bananas happen to have a lot of potassium in them. So what do you do? You eat a banana. And miraculously, a half an hour later, your cramps just go away. It happens invisibly. It's underneath the surface. You don't feel the nutrition entering into your legs, entering into your muscles, but you don't feel the whole process happening as it's happening, but you know it works because your cramps, they go away. Repeated sacrificing is like that for our faith. You give up a little here, sacrifice. You let go of a little more over there, sacrifice. You, you go from one place to another, sacrifice. You give of yourself, your time, your energy, your resources to what God has asked you to do, to what God is up to in the world, sacrifice. And all of that sacrifice over time, it works invisibly in your life so that, so that over time, all of a sudden, you're different, you're changed, you're transformed. You don't necessarily feel it happening as it's happening, but there it is. You're new. You're different. Your faith is suddenly stronger, deeper. You're more sensitive to the voice of God. Abraham had unshakable faith sculpted through a lifetime of movement, a lifetime of sacrificing, a lifetime of obedience. He passed the objective part of the test with flying colors. Oh, but what about the other part of the test? What about the essay part of the test? Think back to your testing days. Maybe you're in your testing days. Don't you love essays? Didn't we? No. Nobody likes essays. Are you kidding me? Sure, they're, they're, they're concerned with facts, what's true, what's false, what actually happened, but, but they're more than that. Essays are designed to, to get at what's inside of you. you have, what, how have you internalized what you've learned now? What are your opinions of it? I mean, you get the chance in an essay to actually bear your soul, show your teacher or your professor exactly what you learned and exactly what you think of it. You can even argue with the facts if you want. You can't fake an essay. You can fake true, false, multiple choice, and you can make a guess, but you cannot fake an essay. If you fake an essay, the teacher or professor looks at that and goes, nah, man, not even close. So even though Abraham had learned, he learned to trust God over a lifetime of sacrifice, over a lifetime of, of movement, of giving God his very best, this, this was different. God had never asked him something like this before. This, wasn't this different? I mean, we read this story, and it's so hard for us to read it without 
having the end in mind. I mean, we know everything's going to turn out to be okay. Yay, here comes a ram. We know that God will provide. We know that everything will turn, all right, turn out all right in the end. But in the heat of the moment, when God asked Abraham to do this, could Abraham have known? Could he have known? Abraham must have thought that this seemed to be so unlike who God had revealed himself to be. How can God make him commit murder? Not just any murder. How can God make him murder his own flesh and blood, his own son? God came up with this idea. How can God go back on his promise? God promised to make a nation out of Isaac. God promised to bless the world through Isaac. How can God, who's proven himself to be so different than all the other gods out there at the time, how can God do the same thing as them? And now he's proven himself to be so kind, so loving, so gracious, so generous. How can God act like all the other gods who now demand human sacrifice? I don't know about you, but if I'm Abraham, at least I'd like to think this of myself. If I'm Abraham, I'm arguing my face off the whole way up that mountain. How can you do this to me, God? How can you ask me to do this? This is so unlike you. You want me to kill my own son? What, are you kidding me? You're going to go back on the promises that you made? I'm arguing my face off. I think, that, I think about this when I think about Jesus, who's in the garden praying while sweating blood. And he says, Father, take this cup away from me. Don't make me do this. Arguing with God. I think of him hanging there on the cross, and he says, my God, my God, how have you fors- why have you forsaken me? Arguing with God. But Abraham, he just mechanically walks up the mountain and keeps his mouth shut like a robot. I don't think that's who God created us to be, and I don't think that's the kind of relationship God wants from us. I don't think God wants us to be robots. Just things God can control with some sort of remote control, just getting us to do whatever it is that God wants us to do. I don't think... I don't think that God created us human beings to be like these little puppets that God can sort of control from way up on high for just his own amusement. There's got to be more to our dealings and interactions with God than just that, don't you think? Like, I don't think God wants simple blind obedience with our brains telling our muscles what to do just because God asked us to do it. Of course, God wants obedience. Of course, God wants us to walk in his ways. Of course, but God wants more than that from all of us. I think God wants our hearts, nothing more, nothing less. God wants the very center of our beings because if God, God knows that if he gets our hearts, that if God gets the very center of our beings with all its faults, with all its faults, its insecurities, with all its passions, with all its love, if God gets our hearts, the very center of who we are, then everything else, everything else will follow. Where's Abraham, where's his heart in this story? Read the story again. Where is Abraham's heart 
in this story? Does he wear it on his sleeve or does he keep it locked up inside himself, afraid of giving it away to God in case this whole divine God thing is just in his imagination? Where is it? God wants our hearts. I'd like for us to think of it this way. For those of us who are parents, or for those of us who are children, for that matter, that includes all of us, by the way. Just some basic biology for you all this morning. What kind of relationship do parents want with their children? Parents don't conceive and then bear children just so that they can have someone around the place to just do stuff for them, like puppets or puppies. They're way too expensive for that. Just get a puppy, man. Like, would any parent on the planet rather have a child who obeys everything they say, everything they tell them to do, doesn't want a relationship with them? Would any parent want that? Just a person who remains distant and cold? I mean, this makes me think about my own kids, my own three boys, Samuel, Caleb, and Micah. As they grow and mature, man, we just don't want them to be cold. We don't want them to be distant. We want them to become people who have the ability to wear their hearts on their sleeves and to share their their loves and their passions and their desires and their yearnings with mom and dad. We we want to be able to cultivate that kind of relationship, the kind of relationship that is deep and affectionate. If we have that kind of relationship with them, then if we truly have that relationship with our boys, where they're letting us into their inner selves, we can deal with a little rebellion. I'm okay with a little disobedience because I know that they've given us their hearts. What makes our boys our boys isn't the fact that they do everything we tell them to do. Absolutely perfect. Perfect obedience. That's not what makes them our boys. They do exactly what we say. What makes our boys our boys is the fact that we love them and they love us. The fact that we love them so much and we're so, we, when we're apart, we just want to be with them. It's that deep, abiding, affectionate closeness. That's the kind of relationship we want. And I submit to you, that's what parents want with their kids. So here's a question for you. Did Abraham pass the essay portion of the test? I mean, if you read the rest of the account of the life of Abraham, you'll find that, guess what? God doesn't ever speak to him again. Who's the one who stops Abraham from sacrificing his son? Look at the story. Who did it? Was it God's voice he heard? No, an angel showed up. An angel's the one who stopped him. It's almost as if the relationship between Abraham and the divine gets, there's a little bit of coldness there. There's a, 
There's a distance there. If you read the rest of the story of Abraham, you'll see that angels speak to him before it's been God's voice. After this, the angels speak to him, bringing messages from God, but Abraham doesn't hear directly from God ever again. God's voice is curiously missing from the life of Abraham. The the intimacy of the relationship he enjoyed seems to be gone. And get this, Abraham, read the rest of the story, Abraham doesn't ever speak to God again. Sure, he speaks about God, but he never speaks directly to God, at least not according to the rest of the story. The intimacy and the relationship seems to be gone. The essay portion of the test, it seems like seems like Abraham just sort of left it blank. Friends, God wants obedience, sure. But God wants a whole lot more than that. God wants our hearts. God wants the very center of our being. Because God knows if he gets our hearts, if he gets the very center of our being, everything else will fall into place. God wants a deep, abiding, affectionate, shockingly honest relationship with you. So as you go throughout the rest of your life and you get tested here and there along the way, don't forget to bear your heart. Don't forget to bear your soul. Argue with God if you have to. Be shockingly honest. Don't forget the essay part of the test. God wants your, God wants your heart. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this story that's so hard and difficult and interesting and odd and in some ways a little bit scary. God, sometimes we, we think that all you want from us is obedience, is to do what you want us to do. And sometimes we get caught up in that, and sometimes we make that the highest thing. Like, that's just what you want. You want us to just be good people and just do what you ask us to do. And along the way, we forget. We forget that you actually want our hearts, that you actually want our innermost being, that you, that you, the creator of heaven and earth, want us to offer you our hearts. So God, we're here this morning and we admit to you that that's sometimes hard for us to do. And so in some ways we ask, we beg that you would just take our hearts from us. Take them. We offer them to you. And through that relationship, God, we ask that you would change us and mold us Make us into the kind of people you want us to be, the kind of people who look like Jesus, who gave himself so fully to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.